Welcome everyone to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. I am your host, Tracy Siska. I am also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find more about our transparency and accountability work, both in Chicago and around the country as we are expanding at chicagojustice.org. Okay, we have a busy show for you tonight. Our featured segment is on the CPD launching a drone program last summer that they didn't really tell anyone about. Um, um, then we're going to talk about CWB and how they don't understand CWB Chicago, about how they don't understand poli how policing works. We're going to talk about a new segment from Dane Planko on Fox 32, um, talking to three black uh, Chicago police officers. Then we're going to talk about an article from Crane's A.D. Quig Brain Drain at City Hall. Then a... Uh, a routine segment in our show now uh, show, uh, social media fails you're never going to guess who it's about he he seems to keep finding us weekly if not multiple times a week uh, providing us content then we're going to do a double dip into Newsweek what cops learn in the academy which is an interesting piece kind of an, kind of an excerpt of sorts from a book and we're going to talk about a false trope about the media covering the cops from a Christian right-wing um, news outlet person. And uh, then our last piece is going to be about the role guns play in police reform. But before we get to all of that greatness, tonight at 7 p.m. Central in, well, 7 p.m. Central, <laughs> um, we have our nation meeting. It's our weekly strategy meetings. It's our volunteer. It's basically where our volunteers and interns come together to work on projects uh, we have weekly gatherings. They're working on crowdsourced research projects, social media activism, public policy advocacy, all of that. The Zoom link is in the chat. Join us tonight at 7 o'clock. Anyone who's interested can come and join and find out more about the work that's ongoing and see where you may fit in if you want to donate a few hours a month. Okay. Let's get on to our first segment. This is an article. What was The news was broken in the Sun-Times. Um, now let me explain a little bit, which is, yeah, it's great reporting. It's good reporting, but don't get too lost in how great reporting this is because basically this is coming from an email dump. So let me get to the article titled CPD launch secret drone program with off the books cash. So let me fill you in the, the, um, the email, there was a hack of Jones Day, the law firm. We're going we're gonna to be talking about this for weeks, if not months, if not years. Um, Jones Day was the independent investigator, I believe, of the Anjanette Young case and what happened with the civil suit and the FOIA lawsuit um, and the follow-up to that bad search. And recently, within the last several days, that those e Jones Day was hacked and those emails that and the documents that Jones Day collected as part of that independent investigation were exposed. So people at the Sun-Times just kind of data mined those emails and documents. So yeah, great, congratulations, but it's not like a super scoop in my opinion. I mean, I think it's a good scoop, but I think if someone was going to get to it eventually. They basically laid the documents at your feet. So here's my feelings. Am I surprised? Uh-uh. Nope. Nope. Typical Lori Lightfoot move. Lori Lightfoot move. Never a progressive 
That's all fake. And we've, she's proven that in the 730 days she's been in office. Let's talk about this. There's a concept you have to understand. It's called function creep, right? When you have these types of incidents, they're always exploited by justice system and like the, the federal justice system or local state county. They're always exploited to expand their powers, expand their reach, right? And they tell you, hey, <laughs> you know, this is for terrorism. Why don't you use it for terrorists? That never, it never stays there. Never, never, ever, ever, ever stays there. It always creeps onto other things, other functions. So here's a quote. The drones have been purchased and the electronic and technical support unit, counterterrorism, is in the process of creating a training to start a pilot. Some of the drones uses will be for missing persons, crime scene photos, and terrorist-related activities. Um, Conway, who's with the department, I think with the mayor's office at the time, said in a June 12, 2020 email to former Deputy Superintendent Barbara West and Michelle Morris, the department's risk manager. All right, so, wow, missing persons, crime scene photos, terrorist-related issues. That doesn't sound so bad. It will never stay there. It will never will. It will always creep. Always. That's why you're like, don't worry about, you can give the military M16s and really big machine, excuse me, you can give them all that weaponry. But you have to put firewalls in place. Because if you don't, what happens then is that equipment, like those uh, armored personnel carriers and the, all those other milita militarized equipment, the police departments have around the country, they always, always have function creep, always. And if you don't put aggressive upfront firewalls to make sure to limit as great as possible the creep, it will always creep. So the big reason for last, last the purchase last summer, and I think it was in June of last year, was function creep, right? I mean, was terrorism, terrorism. It's not going to stay there. Okay, so how did they buy this? It talks about um, off the books money. Well, it's called 1505. It was bought, bought out of the 1505 fund. 1505 fund. And those are basically proceeds from forfeitures. Okay. Drug-related and seizures. They seize your car when there's, they found drugs in it, whatever. That's where they get this money, and they can basically do whatever they want with it. In the report, it talks about how over the last three or four years, I think it is, that it was, they collected $26 million in, in seized money, and um, they've spent $7.7 .7 million of that, supposedly. Now, will you ask how? Well, state law requires that 1505 funds be reported to the Illinois State Police. But not exactly how they spend them, because our legislature not maybe the ones sitting now, but the ones who created this law are useless and are trying to give as much wiggle room to the justice system as possible instead of report how every cent was spent exactly. How hard would that be for the department to do, right? Well, they don't want that. The departments don't want it to stay police. None of them want it because the reality is this, this like slush fund is how they buy uh, super secret surveillance equipment. 
So here's a quote for how the money was spent. Operating expenses, witness protection, informant fees, and controlled drug buys, as well as travel, meals, conferences, training, and continuing education. The spending isn't, this is from the Sun-Times, isn't itemized, but the report that they have to file with the state police, uh, state police reports state that operating expenses can cover vehicles, guns, and equipment, such as drones. So the reason we're guaranteed there was going to be massive unprecedented function creep is that Lightfoot, the mayor, whose office knew and she knew, and the police department, if they weren't, if they were sure there wasn't going to be function creep, they just would have told people publicly what they were doing. But no. Once again, I say, Daily Rom Lightfoot. Tell me the difference. Tell me the difference. This is a move that Rahm Emanuel would have made. It's a move that Daily would have made. Um, I don't see the difference. Um, besides demographics, I see no, virtually no difference in the way they're governing. And it's sad. Um, what we need, we need a, we need the city council to step up. We need them to force the police department to report every dime spent out of those 1505 funds every year. We also need every type of surveillance they have. We need to know the functionality and we need a report that they have to file with the public safety committee every time they use one. Nothing else will do. We'll see if our city council can possibly muster the intestinal fortitude to get that done. Um, it definitely is not going to come from our mayor. So forget that as an opportunity. She will fight that tooth and nail. Um, as we saw with the, in our last show, we talked about uh, Southside Weekly article and how she um, got caught through this email dump backing qualified immunity for cops. Not trying to pull it back, which is the rest of what progressive America is trying to do, but she was fighting for it. God, I, I just don't see the difference. Okay, our second segment today. Crime in Wrigleyville blog. CWB Chicago. I'm not exactly sure how we're supposed to pronounce that nowadays. They, um, they certainly seem at times mystified about how the justice system creates and maintains and collects, organizes data. Right. And then they write it in a way of massive. It seems like it's really alarmed by the fact that this could be a reality. Right. It's like, God, could you be any more naive? Now, it's anonymous, so we're not exactly sure who actually runs the damn thing. Um, I have some thoughts, but I, I'm not quite ready to say out the people that are involved. 100 percent, but it's just written so naively. So let me go. Here we go. The title of the article is No Reports Filed, No Arrests Made After Man Inappropriately Touches Woman at North Clyburn CTA Station. Okay, here's a reality. People may call 911, and even if they do, the survivor, the victim, the person who calls is in charge. They have the agency to decide when to file that complaint. There is no problem 
with them calling 911 to get whatever level of safety that response, they believe that response is going to provide them, and it may provide them plenty of safety. But there's no problem with them obtaining that safety and then deciding they don't want to press charges. It is absolutely fine. They have agency over their body, over their lives. They get to do what they want. They get, just like everyone else in this country, they get to call 911 and obtain that safety that the system is supposed to provide them, theoretically. Obviously, it provides different types of people different levels of safety. And they're able to call 911, and they're able to decide whether or not they press charges. There is no obligation on the individual to press charges for society. That just isn't the way it works, and it never has. So, according to the story, one got assaulted. The level of assault is un, un, um, unspecified. So we're not sure to what how serious the assault, whether, whether it was some kind of groping. I think it was a groping, but it's kind of vague. Regardless, it doesn't make a difference. It's an assault. One decided, went up to CTA police and a CTA worker, the booth, um, at the North Clybourne Station. However, at that point, besides I think her finger was injured from pushing the guy away or, wrest- or uh, wrestling with him a little bit, she decided not to call police. And is that perfectly within her prerogative to do that? No, and that's a judgment-free zone for everyone. Anyone who passes judgment, which is what I think CWB is doing here, that's inappropriate and wrong, and it's not going to lead to the outcomes they want. Um, but since they know so very little about the actual criminal justice system, which this article demonstrates, it's, it's, not, um, it's not surprising that they are complaining. Shortly, I think I think they try to make it seem like it's two women back to back, but I think when you read the article, it's actually like 45 minutes later. <clears throat> now, the reason they got this article is supposedly a reporter or I don't want to even call them a reporter. <clears throat> Someone who's involved in CWB and posting their political rants, which is what I think this really is, in, dis- in disguised as journalism. Um, stuck around and in, in this man assaulted another woman. This woman did have police called. Police did respond. The woman decided not to file a complaint, which is, once again, her prerogative. She has agency to do what she wants over her own life, and it's a judgment-free zone. She has no obligation to file a complaint at all. She has no obligation to society to do it. Despite what CWB is um, making it seem like in the article they have some obligation, they have none. Her obligation is to stay safe and um, recover from the assault. And however, if she thinks best to do that, <clears throat> excuse me, she should be able to do that and have the power over her own body and her life to decide whether or not to get involved in the criminal justice system. So she doesn't file a complaint. The offender's no longer around, and poof, no report, no arrest. Well, CWB, 
That has been happening in the criminal justice system for as long as there's been a criminal justice system. If you're surprised by this, your naivete is unbelievably ridiculous and horrible. And you should stop writing about criminal justice stuff and certainly data because you have no idea how the data is created. Clueless. Um, if, it's, if this really is all new to them, it's just sad. And if they're writing this because they want to blame the survivors for being assaulted and then not filing a complaint, then it's even much, much, much worse for them because that's disgusting. The survivors have the agency control over their own bodies, control over their lives to do what they need to do to get better and recover, period. If that's in the criminal justice system, fine. If it's getting away from the criminal justice system because they don't want any involvement in that or with the offender ever again, that is their prerogative. And no one, no one can take that, should take that away from or try to. There's all sorts of reasons why people would not file complaints. Um, and this has been happening forever. This is an issue with domestic violence. This has been happening forever. Their naivete about this is, um, it's pretty sad to be honest with you. Um, and it definitely calls into question the legitimacy of all the stuff they write if they're that clueless about how these things get, um, you know, how this data gets created and what happens with it. Okay, we're gonna go on to our third segment. I'm gonna set it up. It's a video. This is a news report from Dane Plank, uh, Planko, Planko at Fox 32. He supposedly sat down. I say suppose, I mean, I think he sat down, but you can't see him. They're blacked out and their voices are changed. Three black Chicago police officers. And before, let's call in, in the question the credibility of the report right from the beginning. They wanted to show, and this is why manipulation of things, they wanted to show that they had officers from like three different parts of the department talking. So one of the officers is categorized as a patrol officer. Another officer is categorized as a beat officer. And the third officer's number three is categorized as a sergeant. The patrol officer and the beat officer are the same rank. The same job. Same job. Patrol. There is no beat division. There's a patrol division. Right? It's the same thing. So they have two patrol officers basically and one sergeant. I don't think that was done by accident. I think though that language was chosen on purpose to make you think that they have a variety of officers. I mean, an officer level or variety that's different. Now, it seems like they have over 60 years of experience between them. So how many, I mean, I bet you, like they hide them and I don't understand why, to be honest with you. Like the outlines, their discussions of their experiences, how many black police officers are that are still patrol officers that have been in the department over 20 years? I think they probably were outed 30 seconds. I mean, someone working with them noticed who it was. So it probably took 30 seconds for the text chain to start happening. So I'm not sure why they did that. Um, but they did. So we're going to watch the entire um, news report because I want to talk about it. I don't want to cut it up and have them um, say, you didn't play this or you didn't see this. I want all the context in. And then I uh, will talk about it when we come back. 
What's it like to be a Chicago police officer right now? It's difficult. It puts you in a very compromising situation. Challenging. Um, you got the political climate that really dictates how we police. It's a very tough profession um, at this time. Jeff, a patrol officer who comes from a cop family. Latasha, a beat cop who's worked districts all over the city. And Paul, a sergeant. Three African-American cops with more than 60 years experience shooting from the hip about policing in Chicago. If you have not been to police, you don't truly understand it. We're hiding their faces and changing their voices and names so they can speak freely without fear of retribution from their bosses or the public. The climate with the citizens, they're hostile. So a lot of times before you can even deal with whatever their, the request was that they call the police for, you've got to put the fire out because they're hostile toward the police in general, even though they call the police. They say years of anti-police public sentiment sparked by high-profile police shootings has put a target on their own backs. With 27 Chicago police officers shot at so far this year, four of them hit. People do not respect authority. But they also say they understand the anger. I do understand the hostility. It just makes our jobs very difficult. I believe that the black community has proper cause to mistrust the police based on the police history with blacks in this country. That being said, we can't lump every police officer in the same bunch. We have so many great police officers from all nationalities out here doing the job correctly. And they worry they've been undercut by politics. You feel you have the support of City Hall? Absolutely not. And isolated. When you feel like you don't have the support of the people that you're protecting, and you don't have the support of the people that you're working for and working with, it's a hard place to be. They point to Mayor Lori Lightfoot's plans to change the department's foot pursuit policy following two recent police shootings that started with a chase. It was not a wise idea for politicians to come out and say we're going to change it based on an incident. You jumped in there right away, you're saying that incident was wrong. You, you, it's a morale issue. And they say it will be difficult to reverse years of police training. You've been policing in high crime areas and you've worked midnights and you've worked in the dark and you've been in alleys and vacant lots. You're going to do what you've tra been trained to do. You're not just going to stop and say, oh, the mayor just said we couldn't do One this. of those chases resulted in the police shooting of 13-year-old Adam Toledo in Little Village, a split second after the boy appeared to toss his gun behind a fence. The video was clear. He had a gun in his hand. It's a tough call. He goes to turn. The officer doesn't know if he dropped the gun, still has the gun. His last sight was he had the gun in his hand. And a horrible thing happened. Is it the police's fault? No, I don't think so. The problem happened long before the police encountered that young man. They're also seeing more of the people they arrest right back out on the street, which they say makes cops question why they're even arresting them in the first place. Lack of prosecution on the state level. They understand that the police are hesitant about policing. You can smell the fear or the hesitancy of an officer and how they police, right? You take advantage of that. Uh, of course, they feel like they're able to do whatever they can and get away with it. As for the idea of defunding the police, they say they welcome the concept of more money for support services like social workers and crisis intervention, but... Even when you get a CRT person, professional, they're going to need the police there. If you get rid of us, what will you have? 
Imagine a city without the police. If you think it's bad with the police, imagine it without the police. And as African-American police officers, there are special challenges, like being sent to some white neighborhoods. They might say, I don't want you, send me another officer. Well, the officer knows what that means. That means send me a white officer. I come from a community of African-Americans who were policed by some of those racist cops. And I know what happened. I've been on the job for over 20 years, and I've had to stop some racist cops from doing racist things. As for their union, they're not fans of the FOP. I think they're awful. I think that how they respond to national crises and police shootings is almost like things you would say to your guys in the basement when you're having a couple of beers. If there's one thing these three veteran officers want you to remember. I wish there was a way where people realize that we are human, just like them. You know, we have families, we cry. We're human beings and when we put that uniform on, it doesn't stop bullets. Dane Placco, Fox 32 News. Okay, so we're back. So let's go over a couple things. They were more thoughtful in, in the in the in the story. Um, I have some issues, which we'll talk about Dane Pico's uh, Pico's report itself, but and some of the numbers he cites without context, because God, the media loves that. Um, if you haven't been the police, you don't truly understand. Okay, I don't 100% disagree with that, but the problem is that mirrors a lot of the extremist rhetoric coming out of the FOP, which they complain about, but I will catch you on that complaint and show you how kind of bullshit that, that complaint was about them. Um, that mirrors the rhetoric that you can't judge us. We can't be held to account. You're not qualified to judge us. Sorry, it's a democracy. The people allow themselves to be policed. Um, that uh, that is the reality. You don't like it? Get out. Retire. Go find another gig. We live in a democracy. So that kind of bothered me. Let's talk about an issue with Dane. Here's here's a stat for you. God, they love stats, but never the context. Twenty-seven officers shot at. Four of them hit this year. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Is that up or down, Dane? What does that mean? Good, bad, ugly? I mean, what is it? Those numbers by themselves are meant to alarm you, but without any context, you don't know how to hell to, to, to understand them. That's one. Two, we're in a pandemic still, Dane. You can't use numbers from this year, from the last 12 or 14 months, and compare them to any other time period before that. You just can't do it. It's BS. You should know better. You're more experienced, but you're pulling the same crap the same BS that all the young reporters are pulling. It's like an epidemic of stupidity in the Chicago media. They just can't help regurgitating numbers to make it seem dramatic. Um, using numbers without context is appalling. You can't lump all cops together. I'm all for it. There are some good cops. Here's the problem, Mr. Officer. The good cops are the real problem. Between you, 60 years plus experience. If Dane had actually done his job, tell us a time that you saw an officer doing misconduct or racism, racist acts, and you turned them in. How many times have you seen misconduct and racist acts or 
misconduct because of racism? And how many of those times did you turn an officer in? That's the million dollar question. Of course, the good cops outnumber the bad cops. But on the Laquan McDonald Street, my friend, one officer killed, murdered Laquan McDonald and a bunch of officers covered it up. The problem has been for time of memorial, good cops not t turning in the bad cops. So you don't want to be lumped in with them. Do your job and turn them in. Turn them in. Until you and all the good cops start speaking up, you can stick the fact that you're telling us most of the cops are good. Until you're turning your brothers in, we don't care. We're going to lump you together. Because you're the reason the bad cops are still there. If the good cops force the system in, where the good cops got protection for turning in bad cops, things would change. But what you do instead is the good cops vote in an FOP president who's a white right-wing, white-wing extremist who has 50 complaints against him. It's not, we're all, you know, not, don't lump us all together. Why? Look how you vote. Look how you turn, don't turn cops in. Look how, excuse me, cover everything up. Sorry. Next, and I, I, to answer this question, do you feel, do you feel that you have the support of City Hall? Well, Dane, what the hell does that mean? Now, for some reason, both the officer he asked and Dane knew exactly what that meant. What does it mean, Dane? I um, hit him up on Twitter today, didn't get an answer. I'm going to keep hitting him up. We'll see if we ever get an answer. What does that mean? If he's a good cop, he should be for policies that are going to get the bad cops out. Politicians who try to put those in, they don't support the cops, Dane. You seem to be for that mentality, right? Because you won't explain it, but everyone's supposed to know what that means. Next, foot pursuit policy. You shouldn't have just changed it right after that shooting and make it think like that's a bad shooting. But it's a good question. If you're focusing on the Toledo shooting, that's a good question. And even, I've said this before many times on the show, <clears throat> no foot pursuit policy is most likely will ever stop the Adam Toledo shooting. That to me is propaganda. That was BS that Lightfoot was doing to make you think she was going to do something. I haven't seen a foot pursuit policy that would have stopped that shooting. Someone got reported at shooting in a car, a moving car with people in it. The shot spotter identified the shots. It was backed up by 911 calls. Police came to the area, saw two people at 2.30 a.m. This is when it happened. In an alley, one of them with a gun. They get out. The kid runs. They run straight down an alley. He sees them perfectly the whole time. They're run, running in between buildings. It's not going to change it. That is propaganda. Um, so I understand his point a little bit. Um, morale on the job. Morale, that's your fault. That's the good cop's fault too. Jason Van Dyke had 27 complaints against him. He should have been off that street a long time ago. Long time ago, but the police accountability system, the police union, the police department, and all the good cops kept him on that job by keeping their mouth shut. So don't tell me about morale. That's your fault. 
And if you can't handle being held account for what you do, don't be a cop. People are sick and tired of being having black people killed for no reason. Doesn't mean all of them are, but too many are. Too many are. Hesitancy. We're all hesitant to do our jobs. If you can't do your jobs with, so what you're saying is, you can't do your jobs within the rules as they are specified, and you know you can't. That's why you're hesitant. Because if you were doing your jobs within the rules, then you should have nothing to worry about. That's what you tell us when you say, hey, can I talk to you? And we say, no, well, why can't I talk to you? Why can't I ask you questions? If you're honest, you should have no worry about it. Why can't I surveil you and watch you from the sky in a drone? If you're not doing anything wrong, you should have nothing to worry about. The difference is we pay your salaries, right? So we get to dictate to you what you can do. You can't dictate to us what we can do within the confines of the law, obviously. Now, the kicker about the FOP. The one quote about the FOP was all the stuff they're saying about these national shootings and stuff. That's the kind of stuff you hear when you're having beers with other cops, basically, is what she's saying in the basement. So what you're saying is it's not, they're not wrong in actually what they're saying. You're not against what they're actually saying. You're against them saying it out loud to the public. That's what that quote, and to me, meant. Um, which just means you're against the, uh, the um, well, um, transparency, um, in-your-face level of the FOP. Not that they're so horrifically bad and anti-anyone but cops. It's just that they're saying it out loud. Just don't tell the cameras that. You can be that way. It's fine. Just don't tell the cameras. Um, I am not a huge fan of this report. I think Dane should have uh, pressured them a little more about accountability. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see um, if he responds about what having City Hall having your back actually means. Okay. We're on to our next segment. I meant to talk about this on Monday, but didn't get to it. Inside the Brain Drain at City Hall, an article from A.D. Quigg at Cranes. And just a reminder to our podcast listeners, all of the images and links to all the reports that we're talking about on the show are going to be available when this when the podcast posts tomorrow morning. Um, the post on our website has all of those, so you can get them all there. So... This article is talking about the public safety team, more or less, that Lightfoot is losing or has lost. So she's lost the deputy mayor for public safety, Susan Lee. She lost the chief risk officer, Tamika Puckett, who was supposed to be looking at lawsuits and finding ways to minimize city exposure and payouts. Um, she also lost the corp counsel, Mark Fleshner. That, I think... Um, I don't think it was in the Anjanette Young. It may have been, but there was another scandal, I think police-related, that he got tossed overboard. Um, and, and last but not least, there is somewhere in the media I saw Corp Counsel Mark, um, I'm sorry, that her chief of staff, Maurice Clausen, is also leaving. I can't confirm that. I, I think it was in the Trib of the Sun-Times article about it. it may have been an, actually, it may have been an A.D. Quigg's article. Um, 
it was a pretty decent article. I know AD. Um, my only problem, and I think I've told her this, but I, um, I'm going to tell all the Chicago media, hopefully they're all watching, right? Walter Katz, Rahm Emanuel's deputy chief of staff for public safety for a period towards the end of his administration, should not be quoted as a legitimate source. He seemed to be legitimate while he was in San Jose running a police. He was a monitor or a he ran the like a COPA office, I believe. COPA type offices went off the police accountability version. Or maybe he was a deputy public safety inspector general in the San in, in San in the city of San Jose. When he came to Chicago, we no one understood in the police accountability community what he was doing. Right, because he came not in a police accountability role, but in this political role. I can't name a damn thing that Walter Katz did while he was in Chicago. He had a big presence on social media, which has died down. He had this huge presence, and I don't know a damn thing he did. Now, colleagues of mine from the Chicago uh, Coalition for Police Accountability, um, they, they were the ones who originally wrote the IPRA, the ordinance that created the Independent Police Review Authority, or IPRA, we together uh, wrote the police board reform ordinance. We wrote the ordinance that would create COPA, the system office of police accountability, despite the fact that it's a miserable failure, most likely. They don't have anywhere near the resources needed to do the job, but also created the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's Office, which I'm happy is operating and, and seeming to do good work. Anyways, Walter Katz, during the time he was in Emanuel's uh, Deputy Chief of Staff for Public Safety, he was the one that came, supposedly came up with the idea to do some kind of consent decree, but it wouldn't be overseen by a federal judge. And my colleagues went in to talk to him and others in the mayor's office. And when my colleagues were like, what are you talking about? Consent decrees are overseen by federal courts and that's how they're done. And we're not gonna accept anything less. Walter got visibly upset and angry and said it was his idea not to have a federal judge oversee it. What kind of reform in Illinois, think about it, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Attorney General's office is trying to sue for this to get the consent decree, the Chicago Police Accountabilities and other community groups, the people that started behind uh, GAPA, especially at that time are pushing, all these entities are pushing for this consent decree and other reforms. And Walter's trying to slow roll it in a political way so it can be as weak as possible and not overseen by a federal judge and not really have a court-appointed monitor overseeing it all. Even with that, with the federal judge overseeing it and a federal monitor and all the money they're spending and all the staff, which by the way, some of the staff are horrible in the monitor's team, but anyways, I know them personally, so I know just how horrible they are. Um, even with that, the, the progress is incredibly slow and painstaking and may take 10 or 20 years to get through this. Even with that oversight, how would it have ever done without the federal court oversight? So why AD and others continue to quote this guy, I have no idea. If they want a story, maybe I should tweet this or uh, out. Someone should do a profile on Walter Katz and what he did in Chicago while he was here. Other than be an epic unprecedented, unbelievable failure. That's, in my view, what he was. I am very, I was very close, still am, on everything that gets done on police accountability. I don't have, I can't come up with a single thing he achieved. 
other than being forced into the court order consent decree by the Attorney General's office, the Chicago Coalition for Police Accountability, the GAPA people. Um, other than that, I don't know. And getting forced into something isn't an achievement if someone is forcing you to do it. All right, so um, let's just get back to the people leaving. Um, who knows why all these people are leaving? There's been all kinds of rumors about Lightfoot's governing style and management style. Let's just put it this way. She's gotten absolutely zero done in her first 730 days. Yes, 365 or 400 and some of those days were a pandemic, but it did not stop the passage of the Anjanette Young Ordinance or the Police Commission, which still isn't set up, um, or Community Commission. So she's got nothing done. So I, I have a feeling that it's something to do with these people saying, see ya. Um, I would basically call her first two years around police accountability a failure. Okay, we'll be back in one minute with more information about our nation program, and then we'll talk about social media fails. Yes, Alderman Lopez is back on it again. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Okay, we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. If you got any questions, um, drop them in the um, comments section. If you're on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, um, or YouTube, I get them all. We have Jocelyn with us, one of our volunteers who does a great job and she makes sure I see the comments and questions and I'm happy to answer them while this is, while we're doing the show. And by the way, you can always hit us up at info at chicagojustice.org for, or go to our website and um, you can email us directly from the site with ideas for the show segments, questions you have about procedure policies. Uh, we can either answer them ourselves or get people on the show that will answer the questions for you. Okay, he's it. He is relentless in delivering social media fails and cluelessness. I don't know what he's going, maybe for Trumpian of Chicago, the Trump of Chicago. I got to come up with a nickname, figure out a best way of saying that. So here's 15th Ward Alderman Raymond Lopez once again. So I guess there's an article, from what I understand, there's an article about Jose Chuy Garcia. Jesus, sorry, Jose Chuy Garcia, um, Congressman Garcia in Chicago Magazine. And Chicago Magazine tweeted a quote because um, for those who don't know, and Mr. Lopez seems a little bit, um, or Alderman Lopez seems a little bit clueless to this. I mean, he's very much in the John Cass, Donald Trump ilk, where history means nothing, facts mean nothing, politics means everything. Um Congressman Garcia has been involved in Little Village probably 40 or 50 years. 
and I'm being nice putting in 40 because I don't want to age the man. Um, but uh, it's been a long, long, long time. Congressman Garcia has done more for Little Village, the people, the kids, the community, than Alderman Lopez could probably do in three lifetimes. And to completely um, try to erase that for political points, pretty atrocious. But when you're dealing with the John Cass, Donald Trump ilk of Chicago, that is what you're going to get. So let me read his tweet. So there's, he's responding to a tweet. First of all, the tweet from Chicago Magazine that he's replying to says, Adam Toledo's death has a profound impact on me. Two of my grandchildren live in a little village just a few blocks from me, so it's personal. Wow, it seems kind of like a, what a community leader would say. I might be wrong, but that kind of seems like what a community leader would say. So let's get to a not community leader, what he would say. So he responds to that tweet saying, so speaking of profile and courage, who did exactly, all right, let me rephrase that, sorry. So speak. So speaks the profile, so speaks the profile and courage who did exactly nothing to end the generational gang culture in the community. He has represented in various forms since the 1980s. Right? So what he's going to do is put away the entire 40 years plus, I think actually, that Jesus, I'm sorry, Chewy Garcia, I know Congressman Garcia. So the 40 years plus that Congressman Garcia, he's been, um, I think he was Alderman Garcia, he's Cook County Commissioner Garcia, he's held various positions. And he started Little Village Community Development Corp that turned into Enlace and is still a thriving community organization helping the community um, many, 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 many years. Right, Michael Rodriguez, who's the war alderman in the 22nd Ward, came from LVCDC, um, through Chewy Garcia, Jesus, Congressman Garcia, um, and got brought up through that through that line of community action and community support and development. So what Alderman Lopez is trying to do is, whatever you do, if you criticize the police, I'm just going to erase the 40 or 50 years of what you've been doing. I would love Alderman Lopez to come on the show and tell me Congressman Garcia's history of do-nothingism. He doesn't have a clue. Neither would John, Do, Donald Trump. Neither would John Cass. They don't care. Facts mean nothing. Nothing to these people. Right? It's about scoring political points. Nothing less. This is what you get from them. I would put up Alderman Lopez's record against Congressman Garcia's record any day. It'd be dwarfed. A political sensationalist sensationalizing and exploiting violence and crime for political points. That's Alderman Lopez. That's the opposite of the decades Congressman Garcia has put into Little Village. Right? And the other better question is bees for this would be, Alderman Lopez, what have you done to alter the circumstances in communities that breed gangs, gang membership, participation in illicit markets. What have you done? And you can tell what he's done. This is how bad it is. 
I looked him up on Wikipedia to see, to get information. I think he's been in office since 14. No, it's got to be an odd year. So maybe it was 15 he won. Um, so this is the second, if that's true, this is the second term. He backed Gary Chico in the mayor's race. Speaking of do nothing, there you go. Gary Chico. Um, I, I just don't know what to say. It's, it's pretty sad. But we're going to keep hammering him because he's going to keep posting stupid stuff. Um, and I swear to God, I'm going to be able to read tweets and you won't know if it's John Cass, Donald Trump, or Alderman Lopez. You won't be able to tell the difference. I don't know where he thinks this is getting him in politically. Um, I, don't, I can't imagine he thinks he's going to run for mayor um, or run for any other congressional or higher office, statewide office. That ain't getting him anywhere in Chicago and throughout the state of Illinois. Maybe we'll move to some Republican land um, and run for something. I can't imagine what he thinks he's going to get with the, his actions. Okay, we're going to turn now to the last, probably the last two segments. Here's an article from Newsweek. It's a double dip in Newsweek. This one is what cops really learn at police academies. Police Academy. Anyone can kill you at any time. And this is a article, essay, I don't know if it's even an article, but an essay from Georgetown University law professor Rosa Brooks, who applied to be a reserve cop in D.C. And she wrote a book called Tangled Up in Blue, which we'll probably talk to her about on this show at some point. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about this piece because it's an it's interesting to me, and I actually had it, I saw it, um, and before I got a chance to read it, I got it sent to me by a police officer who said, this isn't really, this is pretty close to my experience, and it's a police officer in Chicago. Um, so, sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Chief lesson learned at the academy, anyone can kill you at any time. There's no such thing as a routine call. A good day is a day you go home safe, right? These are what instructors are drilling into them. Now, if that works to some degree to, to reinforce the need to use the tactics they're taught, maybe it works a little, maybe it helps a little bit, but are they being taught the right tactics? Right, because the cops are resisting de-escalation training like it's going out of business, right? Like, I mean, like it's the worst thing ever. And yes, there is the possibility that any incident can turn violent. The reality is few do. Very, very few. We're working on a research project now with tens of millions of uh, metadata on tens of millions of 911 calls. We're trying to figure that out. Um, but I will tell you, it's very, very very few despite what you see on television compared to what are what the calls or number of calls they handle every day it is very very few that turn violent so yes while it's if the possibility is there every day the reality is very few turn that way and many of them that do turn violent are violent from the start they're not just incredibly peaceful turn violent yes the remote possibility is it will happen but it so rarely does. 
Um, so here's a quote. Um, first of all, they had a, I guess they had a New York cop that was becoming a DC cop, and he was giving the the. Um, it's an interesting read. Excuse me. I think everyone should read it, which is obviously what I'm talking about on the show. But I think there was a New York cop, or something that was coming to DC to become a DC cop, and he was in her same uh, class. And he had a he kept pushing the instructors. The instructors would say like, "Hey, chokehold! You can't do it." And he's like, "Well, isn't the chokehold that killed uh, Garner? It was that he had him in the wrong position." And the instructor's like, "Well, it's irrelevant. It's against the rules, and you're going to get fired for it, so you can't do it, regardless of whether it's a good or bad move. It's outlawed. Period." He didn't like that, the guy, right? And he didn't like that about um, there was another thing. Oh, the knee on the back or the knee on the neck. You can't do that either. Right. Derek Chauvin's going down now, just got indicted on two federal cases, one for murder, civil rights violations, one the murder of George Floyd, another one of a 14 year old that he he was on for like 17 minutes. Right. That you think would have been enough of a of a. um, Well, this happened probably before that, but you wonder why that isn't a deterrent. But anyways, so one of the quotes from this New York cop becoming a D.C. cop was better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. Sorry, that's a term that cops use, and I've heard it before. Better be second guessed by the jury and the public than it is to die. And maybe there's some truth to that. But the fact that it's in their mentality that quickly, that high up, is a problem. Okay, here's one quote from her. Even for us reserve recruits, this created a constant gnawing feeling of vulnerability. Soon, we'd be sent out to the streets where, according to our instructors, we would find ourselves trapped between a a hostile public full of people eager to hurt or kill us and a hostile department bureaucracy eager to throw us to the wolves if they required PR considerations. If that's what you're training your department and your officers, you're going to have nothing but bad outcomes, right? It still seems the academies are broken. Um... It's just sad. I guess they, we should probably have civilians sit in those academies every year, a couple civilians, with every class to see what's actually being said in each of those sessions. Um, or maybe reporters get to sit in each, each class um, so we can see what's going on. Okay, our last segment for tonight is also a um, Newsweek article. Let me get it up here for you. There we go. A cop's name you don't know but should. So, that's the name of the article. It's written by Damon Gutzwiller of Santa Cruz County. Oh, no. It was about, the officer's name is Damon Gutzwiller of Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Office in California. And it happened two weeks after, I think, it may have just happened, so it was, It may have been two weeks after he was convicted. I'd have to look that up again. But it's written by Lee Habib. All right, who's Lee Habib? I checked. He's a Newsweek columnist. Okay, hold on, hold on. Vice President of Content at Salem Media Group and host of Our American Stories. Well, what is Salem Media Group? And you know, that name, that name made my spidey sense quiver a little bit 
Santa Media Group. Okay, well, it's not recognizable to me. And there's a lot of like alt right wing Christian conservative media groups. Salem, yeah, witch trials. I don't know. It sounds like they might be related. Let's go see. So I go see. Yep, it's a Christian conservative news outlet. Now, he's saying we, this guy, basically they followed, they had a call of a suspicious van. They followed it. And when they got back, they got to this guy's house. They got ambushed and he got killed. Horrific. Everyone knows horrific. Now, what he's saying is, the media, this left-wing lunatic conspiracy that, you know, all the media is left-wing. It's a loonyville, right? They all, we all, all of the media has these uh, left-wing meetings. We all meet once a month. Now it's all done virtually. Every journalist from around the country is on it. It's a massive conspiracy. God, they're nuts. And they pretend they support cops. And this is what I say by pretend. They refuse to deal with guns. They refused to deal with it, right? Those were bad people. It wasn't the fact that bad people got access to guns. They refused to find real actual solutions. They refused to reallocate resources to find solutions to real problems that officers have to deal with. They refused to reallocate funds to take stuff off the cop's plate so they're not put in bad situations. Right. And the reality is, um, let me get back to the media coverage a little bit real quick. I bet you that the murder of Damon Gutzwiller, pronouncing that right, got a lot of media attention in Santa Cruz and California. It's horrific when a cop dies. No one wants a cop to die. I don't want anyone shot. The media does ignore it. I'm sure he got plenty of column inches, both in the city and the, throughout the state, in the county, for sure. Right? Now, what Habib is saying is, well, he, his name should be absolutely on the tip of our tongues like Chauvin. Why? I'm, I, it's horrific that he died. I don't want him to die. We don't know the names of all the victims that die from murders. Right? What we do know is the names of people that are murdered by the state. Well, who's the state? Well, it's police. They work for the government. They're the tip of the spear of the government. They're the one people in the government that have license to carry guns and murder you if they so deem the need arises. So, of course, that is going to be far ahead of, of an officer dying in the line of duty. Although I still say that officers dying in the line of duty get an incredible amount of coverage. And I'm going to prove it. Right? Um, I'll prove it in a minute. Listen, we live in a democracy where people get to question government. That's our responsibility as citizens, to question the actions of government at every turn and make sure they're operating as efficiently and as effectively and unbiasedly as humanly possible. That's our responsibility as American citizens. You don't like it? Too bad. It's our right. We allow the police to operate. 
They're not in the Constitution. They don't have to exist. We allow them to operate. We have a responsibility to make sure they operate as bias-free and as ethically and responsibility and holistically as possible. If the police supporters and the cops and the Christians like Habib don't care, get out. Don't care. I don't care what you say. Tough. Sorry, bud. And I'm going to, so I'm going to, let's turn back now to the police getting, you know, being, um, getting coverage of police, right? Let's hearken back to September 1st, 2015. Do you know that date? You probably don't. But I bet you, you know, when I tell you, you'll remember it right away because this guy was all over media. Lieutenant Fox Lake police officer who was a lieutenant Joseph or Charles Joseph Glinowitz. You know that name, remember? That massive, he died supposedly in a shooting by a white guy and a black guy in a kind of remote area of Fox Lake while on duty. Thousands and thousands of officers, federal, state, county, local cities around Fox Lake sent officials, sent police officers and federal agents and, and county officers and state level officers to engage in a massive manhunt for Glinowitz's offenders, the, sh the people who shot him. Thousands and thousands, the public lined the streets, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of airtime in Chicago and probably all over the country and made it into the national news. Oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe he was shot like that. Look at this massive search. Oopsies, he committed suicide. Oopsies, he committed suicide because he was corrupt and stealing, among other things. He was stealing from like the kids' um, ranger program or scout program, like be a, be a, early, you know, feel like you're a cop, so come to the program to dress and hang around cops. Oopsies. You're gonna go look that case up, Mr. Habib, and tell me why there's no coverage of officers dying. You can do the math. Go look. How many stories were in California of this officer dying? How many stories were done locally? You're comparing it to we should know his name just as much as the cop who murdered a black man, lynched him on video in broad daylight on a street and couldn't care less that people were watching him and recording him and that children were around and didn't give a damn thing, a second thought to George Floyd's death because he was black. Racist activities, racist murder from the state are always going to be more important to the public in America, hopefully, than the in, in the line of deaths for officers. Now, the, the difference between Mr. Habib and the Christian right and the left is that the left is actually engaging in solutions to try to find a way out that there doesn't have to be any more shootings of anyone, including cops. No one, no one, no one on the left, no one wants to see cops die. And reformers are looking for reforms that we can reduce the shootings and reduce everything. And Habib doesn't care. He's just looking to score political points. Probably exploiting this officer's death and trying to equate it to Dante Servan's basic lynching of George Floyd. 
sad. But the Christian right, man, they'll use any excuse they can to score political points. There's nothing new there. Um, it's just very sad. Okay, everyone, thank you so much. We will see you tonight if you're interested. Links in the chat, and it starts in about 27 minutes for our CJP Nation meeting. Um, and then we will see you back here uh, live again, streaming on Friday at 5.30 p.m. Central. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you.